Thank you for listening to the New Life Church podcast. If you need any information about our church or if you'd like to give online, please visit us at newlifekingman.com. Amen. Praise God. It's so good to be in the house of the Lord. First, we want to release all the teenagers. If you're junior high, high school age, Alex is raising his hand in the back. You can go with him and he will take you in the back. You're going to have class back there. Amen. Also, uh, we want to take a moment and welcome everybody that's here in service with you, with us. Uh, we appreciate you. We love you. We also want to welcome everybody that's watching online right now. We love you, and we appreciate you, and we thank God for you. Amen. Now, before we get started uh, this morning in our message, I do have a couple things that I want you to know about, a couple announcements I want uh, to make to you. First of all, um, we want to lift up uh, uh, the Olson family in prayer and continue to do that. Bob Olson uh, went to be with Jesus last week. Uh, he graduated. How I many know that's a good thing? Amen. Now, this was not COVID-related. We don't want to give glory to that for even one second, uh, but we want to uh, say this was his time. He went to be with the Lord, and now we know that he is in the presence of the Lord. So would you join with me just for a moment as we lift up uh, Sandy, his wife, and his family? Would you join with me right now, all of you, and then online as well? Let's pray for their family. Father, right now, in Jesus' name, Lord, we lift up Sandy Olson. Father, we pray for her. We pray for uh, her family, God, during this time of loss. We pray your peace, God. We pray your comfort and your strength, God. Just be with them. Father, minister to them and help them. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Praise God. Also, real quick, uh, we told you that we would announce... Um, when Shannon's uh, memorial is going to be. So we'll be having a memorial service uh, for Shannon on Saturday, January 30th at 11 a.m. right here in the sanctuary. Of course, everyone's welcome. And we also want to say thank you so much for your generosity towards uh, her final expenses. Many of you, you remember last week we took an offering and, and uh, uh, facilitated that and, and uh you guys were, you're awesome. I, I, I just have to say to you, you guys are an awesome church. We have an awesome worship team. Didn't you love that worship this morning? Amen. They're doing such a great job, and, and I know that they put a lot of hours into that. Uh, you, as a congregation, you're awesome. Amen. You guys are great people. Um, um, just the fact that I get to uh, partner with you in serving the Lord just blows my mind. As I look around the room, I see so many faces, and, and I see miracles, miracles of God. Amen. And uh, uh, God ain't done. How many know that? Amen. Amen. He's not done. And so we just thank you for all that you do. We thank you for your generosity, and we certainly appreciate what God is doing. Amen. Praise God. So this morning, if you have your Bible, turn with me over to Matthew chapter 6, Matthew chapter 6. Now, I, I kind of want to put out a little bit of a disclaimer, just, and I, I, I like doing this. One of the things that I like doing as a pastor and a preacher is I, I really do like uh, uh, qualifying things and putting them in a, in a, into a context. And the reason why is because so often things can get misunderstood. You know, there is such a spirit of offense that travels through our, our, our lives nowadays that oftentimes we can misunderstand stuff. So what I'm saying today and what I want to qualify is I want to challenge you today. So I'm not going to make any bones about it, okay? 
So I'm going to challenge you. Sometimes I need to, to do this. And, and Now, in no way am I coming against you or anything like that. So when I use terms like we need to get better, that is not to assume that we're bad. Okay? Okay, Tiger Woods, how many knows like the world's greatest golfer, uh, actually has a coach. And the reason that he has a coach is so that he can be better. That's not because he's bad. That's what makes him number one. <laughs> Sorry, are you hearing what I'm saying? And so today we're going to talk about some things that my hope and my prayer is that this is going to make you better, that this is going to help you. Uh, because we're living in a day and age, amen, where we, we as Christians need to be Christian. Not in name, but in action, amen. Look at the church... We as Christians owe the world an encounter with Jesus. Ah, uh, you didn't get that. That you should have been. This congregation should have been jumping to their feet with excitement. Those of you that can jump to your feet. We owe the world an encounter with Jesus. The Bible says that we are ambassadors of Christ, right? The Bible says that we are to go into all the world and preach the gospel, right? He says to go lay hands on the sick, cast out demons, raise the dead, all of that stuff, right? That's what, that ain't John's words. Those are not a theologian's words. Those are Jesus' words to the church, amen? And what we are to do, now I want you to listen to this because this is probably a, uh, this is probably a uh, foreshadowing of a sermon to come. But listen, we are to represent... Jesus in the earth, right? Okay, now I'm going to do a little bit of thing here with you. We are to re-present Jesus. Jesus was presented once. Now it is our job to re-present him, to represent him in the earth. We are to allow the Spirit of God, the Word of God, the, 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 the grace of God to work through us to encounter and to challenge our world. We're living in some tough times. We're living in some confusing times. We're living in times when, when there is not an answer for this world. But we are the answer because we contain the answer. Can you say amen? The answer is within. That's who we are. We're a walking answer. That's what we are. We are the antidote. Not because we're all that great. We, we're just vessels. That's like, you know, that's like being impressed with the Pepsi bottle because you like Pepsi. Or that's because you like Coke. Or, or how, about, how about this, that you are, what, how, how would it be is if you went and went, I don't know where your favorite pizza is, is Domino's or Little Caesars or Pizza Hut or whatever. You go today and get pizza, and I know I'm inspiring some of you to get pizza. But after church day, you go get pizza, and you come home, you take the pizza out, you set it aside, and you go, look at this box. It don't make sense, does it? But that's what Christians are doing. We're paying attention to the box, and we have forgot the pizza. Okay? What Jesus says is, I'm the pizza. I, I know. I, I, I know. It's, 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 you ought to be in my head. You ought to, it's, it, it, it gets a little, 
a little strange. So this morning, we're going to begin a new sermon series based on our theme for this year. And you say, what is the theme for this year? And I'm certain you saw our new banner as you came in called Seek First the Kingdom. Amen. And so we put that up because that's our theme for this year. And in this series, what we're going to do is we're going to learn what the kingdom is really all about. We are going to learn what it means to be a kingdom person. We're going to learn why the kingdom is so important and why specifically we must put it first. Why the kingdom must be our first priority. A few months ago, while I was praying about 2021, what, what that's going to look like and what God had for us, God laid on my heart this idea. See, the answer, the world needs an answer. I talked about that. We, we need to give the world an answer, but the world is not going to find an answer in the world. Are you hearing me? And the problem is, is there's a lot of Christians that are looking for an answer in the world. You're not going to find it. Okay, it's not going to be in a governmental system. It's not going to be in a political system or a politician. It's not going to be in capitalism, socialism, communism, fascism, whatever your brand is. It ain't going to be found in any of that. Okay, it's not going to be found in some sort of worldly philosophy. It's not going to be found in the world. You cannot go to the world that's broken and find an answer to fix a broken world. That would be like going to a parts store that has nothing but broken parts. You will get a part, but it will not, forget, it will not fix your problem. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Now listen, it, looking to this world to fix what is wrong with this world is as crazy. Did I just get brighter? Wow. Now, I'm assuming somebody in the back touched that. If nobody in the back touched it, then that's an angel. That's Jesus. Okay, so we'll just let that be. So looking to this world to fix a problem that's in this world is as crazy as a person that is stuck in quicksand thinking that his answer is in the consuming Sand. Think about that. If you're in quicksand, what do you need? You need something from the outside to reach in unless you sink deeper and deeper. In fact, if you're in quicksand, the harder you struggle, the deeper you go. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Our text, literally this morning is the answer for you and I and for all the difficulty that we experience and the world goes through. The Bible says this, Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. It says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Now, I want to take just a few minutes of your time here this morning, and I want to kind of put this into the proper context. Because this verse of Scripture is truly amazing. Listen to me. So many things can be defined and established by this one verse. Are you hearing me? 
It is a verse that defines our focus. It is a verse that determines our priorities. It is a verse that will protect your journey. It is a verse that reveals the heart of the Father. It's a, it's a verse that does so, so much. But we need to pay attention. But the problem with this verse is that it is so familiar that we can lose its potency because our familiarity with it. This verse in context is literally the antidote to worry. Jesus tells us that as children of God, we are not to worry or be fearful. But yet, oftentimes, we find ourselves worrying. We find ourselves being fearful, as if somehow that worry and that fear are going to fix the problem that we're living in. Worry has never fixed anything. Jesus, in fact, goes on to say, he goes, how many of you by worrying can add one inch to your height? How can you do anything? Worrying does nothing. In fact, what worry and fear does is it spends the energy you have. It depletes you of what you already have. Are you hearing what I'm saying? <clears throat> so what is he telling us? He's telling us that we're to seek the kingdom. To seek the kingdom first. And if we're not careful here, we will miss the greater point. See, it's so easy to reduce this down to a simple sermon on worry. Now, there is no doubt that he's talking about worry here. I will not take it out of context. But I want you to understand there's so much more because there is a greater point to all of this. It's my belief that Jesus uses the most fundamental needs in our life to draw a comparison. Now, I want you to think about that for a moment. Because if you go back and you read all that's around this verse, you'll know that Jesus is talking about don't worry about what you eat, don't worry about what you drink, don't worry about what you wear, where you're going to live, all those things, those very basic fundamental needs. And Jesus uses this. He says, look, it, I want you to be aware of what I'm saying. I don't want you to worry about any of those things. you got to think about this. Because what he's doing is he's wanting to refocus our priority. Think about it this way. If I were to ask you, if I were to come to you and say to you, why do you want to have a job? Why do you have a job? You would probably respond with something like, well, I want to be able to feed my family. I want a place to live, and I want to put clothes on my back. And you know what? No one would say that's selfish. In fact, they would say it's responsible, wouldn't they? they? They would look at you and go, that's a good thing. You should want a job for those reasons. But Jesus takes it to a step further, and he says, I don't even want you to pay attention to the fundamental needs in your life. I want to have a greater focus. I don't want what you wear to be your focus. I don't want your, uh, what you eat to be your focus. I don't want what you drink or where you live to be your focus. He says, I want to be your first priority. I want your first priority above everything to be the kingdom of God. And as I have said many times before, God, he doesn't want to be a part of your life. Do you understand that? You know, when people say, when preachers get up and go, God just wants to be a part of your life. It's a lie from the pit of hell. He does not want to be a part of your life. He wants to be your life. Amen. Are you hearing what I'm saying? God doesn't want to be on the list. God wants to be the list. 
See, to put God on the list says that everything else is equal to God. See, what we do is we go, yeah, you know, God's, he's, hey, he's on the top of the list. He's in top three. God says, I don't want to be in the top three. I don't even want to be referred to the list. I'm God. I am the list. I don't want to be a part of your life. I want to be your life. And see, we are so content to make God part of our life. We, we're, we're content to just add him as an item. He's a facet of the pie. He, he's a slice of the pie. You know, and even the Bible, we even use the Bible to, you know, I give him a tenth of my income. Let me, can I just get straight with you? He, God don't want your tenth. God wants everything. <laughs> He wants it all. Now, I know I'm kind of painting a picture right now, and it's on purpose. I'm painting a picture for you right now because this really gets good, okay? But we're going to have to go through a little bit of territory first. We kind of got to drain the swamp before we can get the alligators out, and then we'll fill it in, and we'll have some really good land, okay? So first of all, what we got to do is kind of get through this because as Christians, we are really peculiar people. God even said it. He goes, you are my peculiar people. He just, you can see it in the Bible. You're a peculiar nation. You, anyway, that's another sermon. But we're peculiar because we get our priorities all messed up. We really do. We get ser searching for things that we ought not to search for. And so what happens is we just, we're content to make God the part. But he, you know, he doesn't want to be a part. What he tells us is he says, you know what? I want to be, I, me and my kingdom, we want to be number one in your life. And he says, and when we become that, everything changes. Amen. Are you hearing with me? We know as children of God that our Father in heaven desires to meet our every need. We know that. Jesus said himself in verse 32 of Matthew 6, he says, your heavenly Father knows that you have need of all of these things, doesn't he? He says that. Paul writes in Philippians 4.19, he says, and my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Look at that. Look at that verse. He says, he shall, not maybe, not if, he says, he shall meet your need according what? To your riches? It ain't enough. He says, according to my riches or his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. God doesn't want our priority in life to be focused on things. Are you hearing me? Even if those things are needful. He wants us to seek him. He wants us to prioritize him. He wants us to seek first his kingdom. And he says, and then all these things shall be added to you. Are you hearing me? Now, please understand this morning. Please do not be so one-dimensional as to think that things, the things that he's talking about here, are limited only to the bare necessities of life. Everything we need all that the kingdom of God offers, the abundance of heaven itself, all that God has is ours when we seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Look how Luke records the same 
message. Both, you know, in Matthew, Matthew saw it one way, Luke saw it another. Listen, Luke chapter 12, verse 31 and 32, he says it this way. But seek the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added to you. Do not fear, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. See, somewhere we, we, te- we forget that, that, that verse 31, and we quote verse 32, you know, don't fear, you know, little flock, it's my good pleasure to give you the kingdom. But we, the, that is in context of us seeking first his kingdom. See, every day your priority should be to seek first his kingdom. Now, I want you to pay attention to this, because this word first in our text means first in order of importance, holding the highest place in all of our affection. But the trouble with that is things can get in the way, can't they? I don't know about you, but I've had things get in my way. I don't know about you, but I can get distracted easy. Jesus warns us not to seek after things the way the Gentiles do. This is important. Notice verse 32. Jesus says, For after all these things the Gentiles seek, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. The word seek here in, the, in this part of this portion of the scripture, in the Greek, means to seek after. It means to seek after with all their might, with much sweat and much stress. It's the form of being frantic or being clamorous. So I want you to think about, have you ever seen those pictures or those videos of a food truck coming into a third world country village where the, where the people are starving and they're going to pass out food? They have, they have bread or they're going to do porridge or whatever. And people begin to sh- surround the truck and they're clamoring and people are fighting and clawing and they're throwing bread out and it's like a melee. That is the picture of what Jesus is painting of how the Gentiles seek after things. It's like they're clamoring, they're wrestling. Have, have, you, ever, have you ever had children? Any, any, people with children in here, have you ever had your children? I mean, for heaven's sakes, what parent in this place is not going to feed their child? No, we're all going to feed them. But our children clamor and they talk to us as if they are starving to death and we have no intention of ever giving them food again. <laughs> have you ever noticed that? Well, I'm hungry. Okay. I get it. I get you're hungry. We're eating in 30 minutes. But I'm hungry now. I know. Good for you. I'm glad the metabolism was working. I'm glad that you're normal. But I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm hungry. I want to eat now. Can I have a snack? No. Can I have a snack? No. Can I have a snack? No. Can I just eat some chips? Just one. You can't. Lay's says you can't have just one. You can't. But we clamor, we get frantic. And this is the picture he's painting of the Gentiles, how they seek after things. But church, I'm going to say that the church has kind of fell into this. We kind of seek after things. We clamor, we fight. And you know what? Here's the thing. This is, I tell people this all the time. You're fighting for what you already have. You're arguing you know, that's one of the things I've noticed about my grandchildren. I kind of forgot about this a little bit as my children got older. But now that I have really young grandchildren, I, I, I've, I've noticed it's like, it's, it's like with Titus sometimes, it's like we're on our way to what he wants. And he's screaming, throwing a fit. And you, I look at him, I hold his little face, and I go, 
We're going. I have to have the ability to put the key in the ignition and get you there. I am certain that God holds our little face It goes, I already gave the decree to help you. Shut up. Are you hearing that? In our text, it is much different. The word seek, in seek first the kingdom, it means to hunger. It means to desire. It means to worship. It doesn't depict, it, it, it doesn't predict a casual secret. What it predict, predict, uh, depicts is one who earnestly searches in the context of relationship. Knowing that the one who is to provide is not only able, but willing. It, de- it depicts a constant attitude of activity and consistently to search for a thing within the one who is able to provide it. There's no doubt there's a hunger. There's no doubt there is a desire. Its desire is the same as a husband for his wife. It's all based in the context of relationships. It's this patientness. It's this ability to stand and say, it's coming. And I'm seeking, I'm looking for his coming. The principle is best seen in Hebrews 11.6. It says, but without faith, it's impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is. And that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Now, what is that saying? See, a lot of us, we come to God, but we don't believe he's going to give us what we're after. We know he can, but we don't know that he will. He's saying, without faith, it's impossible to please God. And that faith is wrapped up into this ability to diligently seek him, knowing he's giving what we ask. It's to be zealous. It's to do it with all of our heart and our might. It conveys the idea of being attentive, being busy, consistent, and persistent in devotion. It's important that we get that. Are you hearing what I'm saying? So let's see if we can make this live a little bit. And let's, let's look at Romans chapter 12, verse 1. He says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, holy, acceptable acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. In other words, it's the least you could do. To present yourself as a living sacrifice to God. When Paul wrote verse 12, or verse 1 in Romans 12, he said the idea of presenting our bodies as a living sacrifice, was our reasonable service. And that implied that because of all that God has done for us, it is just and faithful <coughs> for us to serve him with our undivided devotion. Amen. Amen. 
In other words, seeking his kingdom and his righteousness first was one of the principal ways we worship him. It's how we worship him. It's about worship. In fact, the New American Standard Bible says it this way in Romans 12, 1. He says, I urge you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Are you hearing me? Paul is emphatically telling us that it is reasonable for us to give our very best effort and complete undivided attention to the service of God. Here's the problem. We are not always good at making God first. Now, don't, don't get me wrong. We never, no one in this room would deny God. No one in this room would say, no, nah, you know, God ain't real, none of us. We all know God's real. We, we do not deny him. We just fit him in as it is convenient. When something other, listen to me, this is very important. When something other than God takes first place in our minds or our hearts, we have entered into at least some measure the sin of idolatry. The act of idolatry transpires when we give our complete and undivided attention and devotion and passion and love and commitment to a person, project, or object other than God. When we fail to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, we are moving into dangerous territory. Now listen, if you don't make a decision to realign your priorities... It will not be long before you're preoccupied with other things that steal the devotion and the passion that should belong only to Jesus. Now, I, wanna, I just want to make a statement. Here's part of the problem, church, because most Christians would say they're devoted to God. And I'm going to look at you and say it's not so. <laughs> I know it's not popular. It's all right. Next week's a lot better. <laughs> Here's the problem, church. We, we'll sit around the TV and watch the news, and we will become enormously passionate about our opinion about what's going on with no consideration of what Jesus has said. That guy ought to die. That ain't Christian. Not even close. Trust me, the Roman Empire was exponentially more wicked than the one we live in. And Jesus said, pray for those that have rule over you. Submit to them. Not my words, his. We'll get preoccupied with somebody that has hurt our feelings. It will become, do you understand, your pain can become your idol. Your conviction can become your idol. Your opinion can become your idol. You can become distracted. And that's what the church has done, church. We've become distracted. I'm not talking about us. I'm talking about the universal church. We have become so wrapped up in the rhetoric. It blows my mind what people put on in public consumption that has nothing to do with God. A lot of people ask me, why don't you post? 
because I have nothing constructive to say. What I'm doing is praying. I'm getting a hold of the mind of God. Now, do I have opinions? Yes. They're mine. They're from a limited point of view. I do not have all the information. I do not know the whole story, and neither do you. But we can get so distracted. We could get so consumed. We could get so wiped out with what's going on around us that we forget that he's still God, that he is actually on the throne. We can get so caught up in the last days and our, our opinion of the last days. We could get so freaked out over it that it literally begins to rob us. Remember, church, he didn't call us to hide in a cave. He called us to stand and present Jesus in this day. <laughs> I know, I know it's tough. I'm gonna. And if we're not extremely careful, church, your family, your spouse, your parents, your children, your friends, your job, your dreams and vision, your profession, your possessions, your school, even your church activity, your ministry, even your own talents can become unintentionally the focus of your worship and service. And you will find yourself in your own self-consumed priesthood, giving yourself, giving your best effort and your undivided attention to the fulfillment of your own interest. Lest we forget, you are not your own. You've been bought with a price. So let me ask you this morning, what do you think of more than anything else? What consumes most of your thoughts? What do you live for? Your answer will probably tell you what you worship most in your life. Your answer will tell you what, the king, what kingdom you are seeking first. Rick Renner said it this way, I love this. He says, you don't have to own a carved stone statue of a pagan god in your living room in order to be an idolater. If you are attempting to place any other person, object, or project in your own life on the same level with God, you are probably com committing a form of idolatry. If this is the case, it won't be long until God does something about it. <laughs> I love it. Now, before we get there and everybody goes, oh, he's preaching a hard gospel that God's mad. God is not mad at you. I'm going to say it again. I'm going to say it about three times so you get it. God is not mad at you. Okay. God's not mad. If my three-year-old grandson was running into traffic, I would yell at the top of my voice and grab him with such an intensity and jerk him back. It would not be out of anger. It would be out of my deep passion and love for my son or my grandson to protect him from the danger he cannot see. God's not mad. Last time God got mad, it wasn't good for the earth. So I have people all the time coming, well, God, I think God's mad at me. No, he's not. God loves you. He loves you so passionately that he gave his only begotten son for you. He allowed him to die a horrible death, to be crucified between heaven and earth, naked, bleeding, so much so that you couldn't recognize him as a man. The sins of the world were put on him because he loved you so much. And if he loved you while you were yet a sinner, why is he so mad at you now that you're saved? 
See, it's a lie from the pit of hell. But God is very concerned. And God will do something to get your attention. He will do something radical to get your attention. And I want you to consider this with me. I love this story in the Word of God. And some of you that have been around a while will remember this with a little bit of joy. In 1 Samuel 5, 1 through 4, it says, Then the Philistines took the ark of God, which was called the Presence, and brought it, in, it, from, uh, brought it from Ebenezer to Ashdod. When the Philistines took the ark of God, they brought it into the temple of Dagon. And set it by Dagon. And when the people of Ashdod er arose early in the morning, there was Dagon fallen on his face, face to the earth before the ark of God. So they took Dagon and set him back up, set him back in his place. And when they arose the next morning, Dagon was now fallen on his face to the ground and, uh, 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 in front of the ark of the Lord. And the head of Dagon and both the palms of his hands were broke off on the threshold and only the torso of Dagon was left. I love that. Years and years and years and years ago, Pastor Pennington preached a sermon that was a landmark for me called Divine Vandalism. Here they take this statue of this false god and they bring the ark, the presence of God, into his temple. It set God there. They all go to bed and the big, great big angel goes, oh yeah, whack! You bow before the Lord. The next morning, they get up and they go, I wonder who did that? What's going on here? They didn't learn. Humans don't learn their lesson usually on the first try. So what do they do? They go, well, we better set him back up. He can't be bowing to the Lord. And God goes, not a problem. And so this time, cut his head and his hands off and then put him down. Sometimes God needs to do something radical. And I dare say that God will come into your life, into the temple or your heart, and he will do some divine vandalism. He's going to tear down what you idolize. Uh, yeah, we ought to be clapping there. That's good stuff. See, what we put in front of God, God says, why? Is it because God is, is it because God's up in heaven all nervous, like, oh, I'm not getting no praise? No. He said, if you don't praise me, I'll cause the rocks to praise me. I have no problem getting praise. I have no problem being worshipped, and I'm not insecure, but it's good for you that you worship and praise me. It's good for you that you put me first. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Jesus is not willing to share his position of lordship in your life with anything or anyone. And we need to make sure Jesus remains the priority. God isn't against family. He's not. He's not against friends. He's not against jobs or vision or possession or school or church activity or personal talents. God is against any of those taking priority over him. All of those things should be found in him, not above him or around him. Jesus promised that if you and I would seek first the kingdom of God, that he would make sure that all those other things would be given to us. You need to refuse to allow your flesh to take you down the road of self-worship or worship of family or worship of material things. They will never satisfy. Are you hearing me? So as we kind of wind this down this morning, we must remember that we're talking about a God-given command. God didn't suggest this. He didn't say, well, you know, if you think about it and you want to, go ahead and seek me first. No, he was emphatic. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. 
Jesus is dealing with the people that are worried, they're fearful, they're concerned about where they're going to live, the food they eat, what they drink, what they wear, all this stuff. They're concerned about it, and Jesus doesn't come on the scene, and he, go, he doesn't say, okay, this is what you got to do to get this and get that. You got to get a job. You got to get this. You better not be lazy. You do all these things. He didn't say that. He says, seek first the kingdom. You want a better marriage? Seek first the kingdom. You want to get healed? Seek first the kingdom. You want, a, you want a better job? Seek first the kingdom. You want wisdom? Seek first the kingdom. You want God to move in your life and your family? You want to see your wayward children saved? Seek first the kingdom. That's the key. That's the answer. You want to represent Jesus in the earth with power and authority, actually changing things around you? Seek first the kingdom of God. Can you say amen? Like I said, before you assume that I'm presenting God in any other light than being a good father, think again. Because the reason that he tells us to seek him first is for his glory and for our benefit. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Seeking first the kingdom of God is what brings us into a deeper relationship. It's what opens the supply of heaven to be met, to meet every need. It's what gives us wisdom, understanding, revelation, insight, and discernment. It's what protects us from the unknown, especially in times like we're living now. So as we wind this sermon down, I want you to consider why it's so important. Look at church, this is, I, look, I've been around a while. I, I, I told a funny story. Here's the problem with Christians. I'm going to use me as a, I, I, I've been a Christian for almost 50 years, and so uh, the time, in that time, I've seen a lot of church, and I've learned a lot of things. I was talking with Pastor Alex the other day on the phone, and I tell this story to make my point, and so I was telling him about a testimony about a man that we know that got radically sa- uh, healed from covid uh, he was in the hospital for eight weeks, and uh, I mean, at one point, he, he was in ICU for eight weeks, and at one point, he coded. They had to resuscitate him. All these systems in his body are failing. Uh, they told his wife, they said, basically, if he survives this, he's going to be basically an invalid that'll have, have to have total care and all of this stuff. And so, finally, she comes. We are in a prayer meeting here, and we prayed for her, and we spent about 15 minutes praying. And the next day, he started having a, a radical change. Well, today, he's home. Everything's fine, and the doctors are mind-blown. Okay? Amen. So, I, I, was, we, I was telling Alex about it, and I, I was telling him that, and I made this statement, and this is going to be obscure. I made this statement. I said, you know, she really, his wife really got a hold of the horns of the altar, and prayed it through. And Alex says to me, he goes, you know, you say that a lot, but that's a pretty obscure statement. He says, most people probably don't know what you're talking about. Because there's only a couple places. And in fact, there was one guy named Joab that got a hold of the horns of the altar, and it wasn't even really good for him because they killed him over it. And <clears throat> so I laughed. I laughed with Alex. I went, you're right. I said, that's the problem with being a Christian for 50 years. We hear stuff, and then we repeat it as if we know what it means. <clears throat> Are you catching my point? Oh, yeah, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. I got it. I'm good, man. Golden. If anybody's voice goes up when they're telling you something, they don't got it. <laughs> sure, I'm good. Uh huh. How you doing? I'm fantastic. Oh, that good, huh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's how you know somebody's lying. Their voice goes up. Do you have anything on you I need to dwell about? No. That's just, it's crazy. It's a whole joke. There's a whole fa- there is a whole video on that. Anyway. 
crazy. I don't know why I get caught in these detours, but I do. So what am I talking about? Oh, I'm t- oh, okay. Seek first the kingdom of God. We can say it, but do we mean it? Every day of your life, every minute of your life. So that means husbands, God's got to be a priority over your wife. If your wife ain't, if your wife is the priority of God, you will not love her like she needs to be loved. And you know what, mom and dad, if your children are a priority over God, guess what? You won't love your children the way they need. In fact, I'll go so far, here's a little marriage advice. If your wife, husband, your husband, wife, is not the priority over your children, you can't love your children the way they need to be. They need to, there's priorities. You say, why is that? Because see, God has a system. And God says, my kingdom is number one. Every day, every hour, every minute, it's kingdom. I go to work, and when I work, I work for the kingdom. I don't work for the gas company. I don't work for Safeway. I don't work for the county. I work for Jesus. I happen to be doing it at the county. I don't work at the school. I work for Jesus, and I happen to be stationed at the school. I am a representative of the kingdom of God, and I'm doing it in an occupation that I happen to have that gives me a paycheck. But my fundamental role in the kingdom is to represent Jesus and seek first the kingdom of God. Can you say amen? Amen. Paul's concern as he writes these things is that we would be deceived. Listen to 2 Corinthians 11.3. He says, he says, but I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, your mind will be led astray from the simplicity and the purity of devotion to Christ. See, it's so easy to be distracted, isn't it? It's so easy to be led astray. Listen, to whatever degree Satan can distract you is to the degree that you will walk in deception no matter what kind of revelation you have. Are you hearing me? He will distract you. I want you to think about this. We're closing. Jason can actually come. I want you to think about a couple things just before I put the final capstone on this. Most of us remember and know who the Corinthian church were. They were the church to be. If you lived in the first century and you saw the Corinthian church, you would go, I want to go there. They had all the doodads, they had the light show, and they had the fancy pastors, and they had all the system, and they had the smoke and the mirrors and all this stuff. Not only did that, man, they were loaded with gifts. They had prophecy, and they had word of wisdom and knowledge, and I'm telling you all this stuff. They had life, and it was fun, and there was great preaching and spiritual gifts were happening, and it was great. They were the church to be, but they were carnal. He says in 1 Corinthians 3, 1 through 3, I love Paul. He goes, and brethren, I could not speak to you as spiritual people, but as carnal, as to babes in Christ. I fed you with milk and not solid food, for until now you were not able to receive it, and even now you're still not able, for you are still carnal, for where there are envy and strife and divisions among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? No doubt they had become distracted, even deceived, They were led astray. It's my thought that what happened is they stopped seeking first the kingdom. Oh, they sought the kingdom. Don't get me wrong. It just wasn't first. 
Did you catch that? Do you understand? You could seek the kingdom. But if it ain't first. See, because there's a lot of other good things we can seek. The problem is, is what happens is we tend to seek the gift and not the giver. And this morning as I close, I leave you with this. In Luke chapter 10, it tells the story of Mary and Martha. And it says in verse 38, Now it happened, as they went, he entered a certain village, and a certain woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who also sat at Jesus' feet and heard the word. But Martha was distracted with much serving. If you're taking notes, and I know that you are, you should write that down. Distracted with much serving. See, when we don't seek him, everything we do is a distraction. She approached him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? See, that's that martyr complex, isn't it? See, when you don't seek God, when you don't put God first, you'll become a martyr. You'll begin to think that you're the only one, I and I alone are serving God. And God will have to look at you like he did Isaiah and say, shut your mouth. I have 7,000 people that haven't bowed their knee. Go back. They need a leader. If I, I'm not really preaching this for you. This is for me. So. Therefore, tell her to help me. And Jesus answered and said, Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things. But one thing is needed. Not what you think is needed. We don't need dinner. We need you, Jesus. It's not, that's not that dinner is not a good thing. It is a good thing. But right now we need you, God. Mary has chosen the good part, which will not be taken from her. See, Mary, Martha was busy in the kitchen. It says she was distracted. This word distracted, I find that it's interesting. It literally means to drag around in circles. The word serving actually means ministry. See, even in our service to God, if we don't seek first the kingdom, when it's about what I want to do. This is how I want to serve God. Good. Why isn't it blessed? Because it's not what he wants you to do. And so what happens is we end up in our service dragging a lot of weight around in circles. At that moment, what Jesus wanted was everybody seated at his feet. What Martha wanted to do was make dinner. Not that dinner's bad. It's good. And there's a time for dinner. But it wasn't that time. And he says to her, what Mary has chosen is the best part. And I won't take it away from her. You say, Pastor, why are you preaching this? Because, church, I don't know what the end looks like. I don't, you know, if, if, you're, if you're watching the prophetic scene, you're going to see prophecies in every extreme. You're going to see stuff that's doom and gloom and, you know, God's coming down with fire and lightning and everybody's dead. And, you know, he's going to start a whole new earth and everything. You, you see just all this doom and gloom. And then you'll see prophecies like, you know, everything's golden, everybody gets in, and 
everybody's ticket is punched and it's all good. And neither of them are true. First of all, God's a good father. And sometimes the father disciplines his children because they need to discipline. Okay? But he always loves us and he cares about us. And if we're going to be the people God's called us to be, if we're going to represent, represent Christ in the earth, then we got to get serious, church. And I, when I say that, I, once again, I'm saying this to make us better. And that's not that we're bad. It's just we need to get better. Okay, you know, Tiger Woods, did I say that already? Okay. I can't remember when I said it because I do two services. And so that's, I use different illustrations in both services. He had a coach. It's to make him better. See, you know what the enemy of best is, is better. And so I can be good, but I need to be better. And then I need to be best. And so it's an ever-increasing thing. And what I need is to seek first the kingdom so I can be better, so that I can be who God's called me to be. And that may mean that I don't get to do what I want to do. I may do, have to do what he wants me to do. That may mean that I have to show up when I don't want to show up. That means I may have to stand and be counted when I don't want to stand and be counted. It may, may mean that I need to shut up. Yeah. Nobody cares about my opinion right now. What they care about are my actions and am I walking in love or am I walking in a sense of condemnation and judgment? <laughs> okay. I love this church, man. I love all of you. I think the world of you. I, this is probably, I'm going to do something. And it's, for those that you are watching online, I'm not disappearing. <laughs> I just got to get down here with you. I love you. I pray for you. Every day, I pray for you. Some of you by name. Larry, Linda, I pray for you by name. Your family by name every day some of you I don't know your name but God does and I pray for you knowing God knows your name I pray for you I love you but I am not content to let us just be pew sitters we're in the last days church and this world needs an encounter with Jesus we got to get over ourselves we got to go you know what yeah you know what comfort you know I'm all for comfort. I love being comfortable. But sometimes things ain't comfortable. Sometimes I need to stand up and, and, and do something for God. I need to find my place in my place. Yes, God will use my talents and my abilities and my desires, but that's not the final criteria. The final criteria is his kingdom. Sometimes he may just have you pick up paper and you can sit back and go, what is picking up paper for? I don't know. But I'm telling you something, it can have, if you pick up paper seeking first the kingdom of God, it will be significantly more powerful and impactful than preaching from the pulpit without the kingdom and his anointing. Are you hearing me? There is no task, there is no thing, there is nothing in the kingdom that's minor. We, we're the ones that put the category on it. We're the ones that measure, not him. What does he want you to do? Maybe just smile at a cashier that's listened to just a bunch of nutcases about, no, I'm not wearing no dang mask. If you need to wear a mask, wear one. Then we got the conspiracy. They're tracking you. I don't care. Track me. 
get it. They're already listening to my phone. Say, how do you know that? I could be talking about boats with Andy, and the next minute, all of a sudden on Facebook, there's all these ads of boats. How did they know that? They're listening. I don't care. Listen, because you're going to hear me talk about Jesus. Get on my computer. Go ahead and read my stuff. Read all 500 sermons. Go ahead. Don't care. See, we get so, see, we get distracted. Oh, they're the government. No, no, no. No, it's Jesus. If we got our eyes on the government, they fail and we're doomed. I got my eyes on Jesus and I win. Don't get, don't get caught up in stuff that don't matter, church. Man, don't, it don't matter. It don't matter. I got to make a statement. No, you don't. You know, if your enemy looks at you and goes, you're an idiot, go, man, I love you. Wow. Thank God for you. It freaks them out. They don't know how to handle it. They get all wiggly, and they, they don't know where to go from that because they're expecting a retaliation. Don't do that. Love them. Facebook is censoring. So what? Put it on there anyway. Who cares? <laughs> Who cares? Jesus will not allow your voice to be shut up if you're seeking first his kingdom. Some of the stuff I've read from Christians needs to be censored. The reason it got took off is, anyway, I'm, med- I'm, I'm, I'm meddling. I, can, I just felt it. Did you ever have one of those moments where you go, okay, that's enough of that. I love this church. I love you. I love you. And I want to see this church grow. I want to see God move. I want to see every chair filled. I want to see this wall-to-wall people. I want to see people that drive down Walpie Mountain Road and go, I saw a fire over the building and had to come in and see what was going on. I want to see God move. But we're going to have to seek first the kingdom. Can you say amen? Why don't you bow your heads with me for a moment. Father, we thank you. Lord, we thank you for your goodness and we thank you for your kindness. And Father, we pray, Lord, right now that you would just help us, remind us, Lord, help us to seek first the kingdom. Let it be something that continually comes up, that even in those moments when we've kind of drifted, you will gently remind us and pull us back, realigning our focus and our priorities. Father, we come to you and we we say we're sorry, God. We say that we're sorry for not prioritizing you and your kingdom. And so, Father, we, we repent of that and we change right now. We, we make a commitment to seek first the kingdom. And, Father, we give you all the glory and all the honor. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise God. Thank you for watching online. Uh, let's stand to our feet. Everybody here, we're going to dismiss you today. God bless you. You guys have a great day. Remember, part two next week, I promise it won't be as froggy. Thank you for listening to the New Life Kingman podcast. We can't wait to see you next week.